Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Michelle Henry. Lewis Carr is a founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Waymaker Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Dr. Michelle Henry is a leading dermatologist. Today, we'll be talking about how you can care for one of your body's biggest assets, your skin. Let's get started. We have the privilege of having Dr. Michelle Henry, board certified dermatologist, Harvard trained. Welcome, Michelle, to the Waymaker Fireside Chat. Thank you. Honored to be here. Well, Michelle, today we want to talk about the importance of not just good skin, but the importance of great skin to our overall health and to our overall look and feel. So when you think about the state of skin in black and brown communities, what grade do we get? Do we get an A, (laughs) do we get a B, do we get a C? I I think we were um, quick studies and we're becoming better students in this area. Um, I think for a really long time, it was really something that we neglected. You know, we listened to things like black don't crack, um, you know, our melanin, while beautiful, um, is not perfectly protective, you know? So there are many other things that can um, affect our health and our overall appearance. Um, And I think there are so many conversations about, you know, all the protective mechanisms or our melanin that we kind of forget those other things that are important. So as a dermatologist, of course, I want us to look beautiful. I care about our glow. I think about our our complexion. But to me, our skin is the largest organ in our immune system. And I think about, you know, all the things that it tells me. And so dermatologists often call ourselves um, skin investigators because the skin is always telling about what's inside your diet. It can tell us about, you know, there are certain things that can tell us about your cardiac health. It can tell us about autoimmune conditions. It can tell us about your nutrition. Um, so our skin is just really critically important to all aspects of our health, um, in addition to our beauty and making sure that we we lead in the world and look as good as we feel inside. Well, I used to be one of those people that black don't crack. So <laughs> I didn't use sunscreen. I could be out in the sun all day. I get a nice, even tan. And I thought it was just amazing, all right, that, you know, hey, I got skin that's just perfect. Mm-hmm. As I aged, I started to get burns. I'm like, oh, the sun is hot now. Oh. Did, did the sun <laughs> change or what? And I started noticing blemishes and things like that. So does your skin sort of evolve or change as you get older? Absolutely. Not only does your skin change, but also the structure changes. Um, so I always say that my um, my white patients are my wrinklers and my shrinkers and my black patients are my sinkers and my saggers. So a lot of what happens with us is that we may not get those fine lines and wrinkles early on, but there are some structural differences um, that will cause us to sag relatively early. So for instance, a lot of um, black patients might not have as much like projection here in terms of like the bone. And so because of that, when we start to lose fat in our face, we start to lose bone, that can happen really rapidly, those changes around the eyes. So like, for instance, a lot of my white colleagues, when they're doing filler, they start with filler on the lips or on the cheeks. I'm doing lots of filler around the eyes because that's how we age because we have a relative lack here. And so when I think about our skin, if we think about our bones and our structure as a table and our skin as a tablecloth, 
it's like the table got smaller, but the tablecloth stayed the same. So we start to get laxity. We start to get sagging. We get start to see the exposure of the deep structures here. So it's not that we're aging. We're just aging differently. And so if you're treating Black patients, you have to have a different eye and you have to be able to read age differently than others. I know a lot of us have seen our like white colleagues or non-white colleagues or friends not able to to gauge how old we are, but we're pretty good at it because <laughs> naturally we've learned, even if you're not an expert, to see how we age differently. There are certain things you're just not going to see in a black woman until she's probably in her forties, you know? And unless your eyes are keen to that, you're not going to know how to address it if it's somebody who it pops up a little bit earlier. So Dr. Henry, what type of conversation do you have with the a young patients, let's say a, a woman in her early 20s, mid 20s, who probably doesn't have a lot of skin issues at that. Yeah. Particular. So what type of conversation that you have in regards to diet, preventive, those type of things? Mm -hmm. So I would say like, you know, the skin you have before your 20s um, is probably the skin you were born with. That was your gift. The skin you get after your 20s and your 30s, that's all you, <laughs> you know, that's based on <laughs> how you ate, how you slept, how you drank, whatever behaviors you had, like that's the skin you earned, you know, before is a skin you were gifted. And so your diet is really critical. You know, we think about things like, you know, overall it's healthy to kind of keep our diet within a pretty close range. So we don't want really aggressive swings in our, um, in our weight overall, because that can change how we age as well. We want to make sure that we're well hydrated, that we're having a balanced diet. If you're someone who has acne, you want to think about inflammation. So those things, like I know my patients kind of, and people instinctively start to get it. They're like, every time I have milk, I start to break out. We know that dairy is one of those things that could really trigger acne. We know that all of those, I hate to say it because I have a horrible sweet tooth, but all of those sweets, that chocolate, those things that we like, anything that makes your insulin kind of peak a little bit, makes your pores sticky and can cause acne. Um, so your diet is critically important. Your mental health is important. Um, you know, you know, pay, making sure that you're sleeping well, just really holistically caring for yourself because any area of lack is going to show on your skin. So what you eat, what you drink, how you sleep. Mm -hmm. So what if people are like me? You just can't sleep that way. <laughs> All right. Not that you've been hanging out or doing yeah. anything. You just can't turn off your mind. Yeah. What, what type of impact does that have on your skin and how can you sort of remedy? Yeah, you know, sleep is so important. And I talk a lot about like sleep hygiene and doing whatever you have to do to sleep well. I'm like you, it's tough for me to sleep. If I get more than six hours, it's a win. If I get eight hours, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I feel untouchable because it happens. You to say, so Dr. Henry, if I got eight hours, the world would be in trouble. All right. uh, honestly, <laughs> same. It's like, I don't know what to do with myself, um, but I'm the same. But it's a fight to try to get as much as you can. And it really is about that racing mind. I'm a huge fan of meditation um, for many, many, many reasons. You know, we have lots of data showing on, you know, there's lots of holistic things out there and with lots of claims, but meditation is one of those things where we have fairly good data that it can really help um, our overall mental health and our physical health, our cardiovascular health. You know, there's good, good, fairly good data around that. And so I think meditation is a really great way to calm the mind. Um, so I, I encourage meditation. I encourage staying away from those th that technology. You know, that blue screen, that blue light is going to disrupt your sleep. So I tell my patients, turn your phone off. You know, don't try not to fall asleep with TV. That's also going to disrupt your sleep cycle. Um, try to get consistency and do it at the same time every night. 
Um, it's tough and I'm definitely not an expert at it, but it really is important and critical to, to focus on and think about sleep hygiene um, because it really will not only make you look better, but extend your life. One thing you haven't mentioned is this thing that we, we see a lot, mm-hmm. water. You know, yes. people walk around with water <laughs> in these big jug bottles. Everybody got some type of canteen and bottles. Give us the truth on water. Does it really make a difference or not? Yeah, so I'm going to make some people really upset. Maybe I should take a sip of my water before I do that. <laughs> um, but water is great. You need to be hydrated. You know, like, you know, we say that you need to get eight, eight ounces of water every day. Um, but included in that is also high water foods like watermelon. Um, Did you say eight ounces of water? Eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day. Eight, eight ounce glasses. So 64 yeah. ounces of water. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, also high water foods are included in that for people who say, I just can't do it. Um, so water is important. We don't want you to be dehydrated. But if you're overly hydrated, that excess water is not going to just collect in your skin and make you look gorgeous. So people who are like, I drink over a gallon of water, that's probably just keeping you really busy and having you go to the bathroom a lot if somebody who's <laughs> not used to that. Um, but excess water um, is not going to do a ton. But at a minimum, you need to be adequately hydrated to look and feel good. So let, let's kind of go to the cosmetic of skin. All right. So we've heard that, you know, too much makeup, don't wear makeup every day. I hear, you know, my wife is like, I'm only wearing makeup on special occasions. I don't want that clogging up my pores. She used to be a model. So give us the truth on wearing makeup and good skin. So, I mean, you can wear makeup. It's just with makeup comes other responsibilities, you know? So if you're someone who's going to wear makeup every day, you need to make sure that you have a fantastic cleanser, a cleanser that's going to get rid of that oil, dirt, and debris that you have a fantastic exfoliation plan in mind or products that exfoliate well, that you have a a pre-plan. So like for me, when I use a lot of makeup, whether it's like if I'm on camera or whatever, I actually use a retinoid before I put on my makeup because I just want that kind of microscopic block, that microscopic exfoliation, keeping the makeup from clogging my pores. Now, everyone can't do that. I say it, but I don't want everyone to do What's a retinoid? Can can you give us a real definition of what that is and what it does? Yeah, so retinoids. So retinoids are are typically the prescription version. Over-the-counter is retinol. So they are high-concentration vitamin A um, products derived from vitamin A. And what they do is they help to exfoliate the skin. And so they're probably one of the most transformative ingredients in all of dermatology because it's helping to turn over the skin to unclog the pores. So it's it's fighting acne. In brown skin, it also helps to block the enzyme that makes pigment. So it helps to lighten dark spots as well to make sure you have an even skin tone. Because even if you're not someone that's getting acne and brown skin, hyperpigmentation is part of how we age. We get this kind of uneven model pigment. And so having that on board, I mean, if you can tolerate a retinol, I think you should be using it um, because it's so critical to fighting fine lines and wrinkles, to stimulating collagen. It's basically all the things we need as we're getting older. Um, so th- that's I I personally use it twice a day. And we all, we always say use it once a day. I'm a little bit naughty, um, but I can tolerate it because I've been doing it 17 years at this point. Um, but it's I think it's one of the most critical um, ingredients I use in my skincare. Great. So makeup is okay. People can wear it every day. They just have to have great cleansers. Cleansers, don't fall asleep with your makeup. If you're someone who's always falling asleep with your makeup, I'd rather you not wear it. That's the worst thing you could do is fall asleep with your makeup because you're wearing it all day and it's sticking to like pollution and bacteria. And then you fall asleep with it. Not only going to get acne, but you can get accelerated aging because it's just poking holes in your collagen. So that's so, important. 
So let's go from the face to the head. Let's talk about hair, all mm -hmm. right? How important is skin and the maintenance and the cleanses of skin to hair and hair growth and so hair maintenance? It's important. I always tell people your scalp is just an extension of your face, you know, and we've just been neglecting it for years and years and years and thinking about hair care, but not scalp care. If your scalp is unhealthy, if your scalp is red, if it's inflamed, if you have excessive dandruff, even that can contribute to hair loss. You know, any inflammation on the scalp is confusing the scalp from focusing just on growth and allowing it to focus on other things. So a healthy scalp is absolutely critical. There is a huge epidemic of hair loss um, in the black community. And, you know, certain things that we say like, oh, I'm, I'm just tenderheaded. When we say that, we're forgetting that there are real conditions that the main symptom is discomfort and pain. I have so many patients come in, they've lost 40, 50 percent of their hair and they just thought that they had, you know, they were tenderheaded and that that's why they had this discomfort. They don't realize they have one of these inherited scarring hair loss conditions. So that's an active conversation. If you're having pain, if you're having discomfort, if you have redness on your scalp, it is so important to see your dermatologist because what we do, we can save hair better than we can bring it back. So it's always better to find it early. So what, what are some of the common things that black and brown people do to their hair that we think are good, yeah. but when you see them like, don't do that anymore. What are some yeah. of those common things? So one of the most common is, I would say, um, protective styling. So we always call protective styling. We probably shouldn't call it protective. You know, I had a colleague, what did she call it? Convenient styling. You know, it's convenient for us, but it's not always protective because nothing is protective if you're doing the same thing every day, you know? So our, you know, if you're wearing your braids for three months, it's not, it's no longer protective. Our follicles are really just meant to hold the hairs they're meant to hold. When we're adding a ton of excess weight, we're adding a ton of excess pressure. We're doing styles that are just staying in the same position for a very long time. That's trauma and that's inflammation. And we get hair loss. We call it traction alopecia. So, um, you know, I, those styles are fine, but you have to rotate them. So you have to, you know, change them frequently, rotate them so that we're not having that tension for super long. So I see that a lot. Um, you know, re using really heavy products or like only co-washing. So a lot of like my naturalistas will just only co-wash with like a light conditioner, but we have to actually clean the scalp at a certain point. So, you know, if you're doing that, you know, occasionally because you don't want to dry out your hair, you need to have a cycle where you're actually using shampoo to get rid of dirt, oil, and debris on the scalp because you'll get inflammation and you'll get hair loss. Now, some of the co-wash products still have cleansing cleansers in them, and that's fine, but sometimes we're just using conditioner, and so that becomes a problem, and I'll have girls come in with inflamed scalps for that. Um, what else are we doing? Too much heat, you know? So if you're straightening your hair too much, you know, try to reduce the amount of heat, make sure you're using protectant so that you're not getting breakage or damaging the scalp. Um, those are probably the biggest ones. What about hair coloring? Does yeah. coloring have impact? on uh, healthy hair or not? It can, you know, especially if it's like you're coloring too much or you're not going to like a stylist or someone who's really an expert at making sure they color and dye the hair safely. You know, the beauty of this is that there's so many amazing, incredible black hairstylists that can do this in really, really expert ways. So I'm not completely opposed to coloring, just making sure you're doing it well. You know, if you're doing it at home, I always say do, I, I prefer a rinse over a permanent color at home if you're doing it. Um, you know, maybe leave the more permanent colors, more, more damaging processes to your hairstylist who, you know, has been trained to do this. Um, but yeah, just making sure you're doing it right. You're doing it in a conservative way because I see a ton of breakage 
from coloring the hair incorrectly. And also it, rashes and irritation. So a lot of people get really sensitive to the dyes and they don't realize that's what's doing it. And they keep doing it and keep doing it and they get irritation and hair loss. So paying attention to any symptoms. I think for so long, we've just gotten used to hairstyling hurting. I remember being a kid and just thinking it was normal that, you know, I should hurt after I had my hair done or after I had my braids, of course, I'm going to have a headache. That's, that's what it is. And it shouldn't be that way. So. Well, let's, let's go to the next step of this cosmetic thing of injections and Botox. You know, for a long time, me personally, I, I didn't think black people did that. All right. But then I have a lot of females who work for me and they're like, I'll be back. I got to go get a Botox. Like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so talk about that cosmetic thing in regards to black and brown people. Yeah. Is that something we should do? And are we doing the Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, the cosmetic thing, that's why I say the girls who are leaving on their lunch break to get those procedures, those are my girls. That's me. That's all. That's all my, you know, a lot of my patients. Um, because I think that for a long time, in many ways, black don't crack is great. But in many ways, black don't crack is unnecessary pressure. Because what do you do when your black is cracking? <laughs> you know, are you someone, are you supposed to sit with it and say, well, you know, I'm not supposed to benefit from all of these procedures that the entire rest of the world gets to benefit from. So I think a lot of um, black women are waking up, black and brown women are waking up and saying, you know, I can also use these techniques. I can also use these tools in a conservative way. The good thing is that I don't need as much. The good thing is that I already have some, you know, benefits that I can just use a little, but get a lot from it. Um, that I can start earlier and not have to do a ton later. That if I start using these lasers and these treatments earlier, I don't have to have a facelift when I'm in my, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever, you know? Um, so I think a lot of um, women are smarter. Um, they're learning that, yeah, I can have these, but I also need to go to someone who knows my face, who knows how I age, who understands my aesthetic. That's not trying to force me into an aesthetic that's not for me um, and understands diverse beauty in a way that they can honor it with those treatments and not try to obliterate it with those treatments. So I'm a novice, so help me as I spoke through this. We, we hear about the bad things that happen to people who are getting injections and whether they're in the face or whether they're in the butt. Yeah. Uh, address that, I think, with our audience today. Yeah. What are the things that are okay and what are the things you should just stay away from? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's hard because it's a it's an area that's exploding, right? Um, and it's an area that's still a little bit hush-hush. So it's very hard to figure out who's good sometimes because your friends won't tell you, they don't want you to know they did it, you know. And so it's still it's still kind of obscured in secrecy a little bit. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that um, we should do. A, we need to make sure we we vet our 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 physician, our provider. Because this is kind of more of a cash pay industry, everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to make a little bit of income. Everyone wants to do a weekend course and they'll post on their Instagram that they're an expert. And that's how we get in trouble because it takes a lot of a lot of treatments, a lot of mistakes to be an expert, right? Um, and so that takes time. Um, and so vet the person you're going to make sure that they are board certified, that they've done a lot of this, that they, they can show you before and afters. 
Um, you know, injectables are safe in the face. And even we have some that we do do on the bottom. So like on the, I have a lot, of course, I see a lot of women of color, a lot of women of color invested in having beautiful bodies and being curvy. And there are safe ways to do that. So we have some injectables or two brands that are safe to use on actually three um, that are safe to use on the bottom. So I use um, something called Radius, which is like I can dilute and use on the bottom. I use something called Sculptra, which we use a lot um, on the bottom. Um, and I'll even use hyaluronic acid. Those are what, that is what's safe in the US. Now, when people are making their own cocktails, if you look up and you're in a garage or a basement, you're probably in the wrong place, right? Um, so but those are the three products that are um, safe to use um, appropriately um, with conservative volume. And so that's what I use. I have a lot of women who come in, maybe they've had a, a, a BBL, like a Brazilian butt lift, and it's not quite perfect and they wanna do some changes. Um, we will do, we can do that with those fillers. And then of course, fat with a Brazilian butt lift. Now we know this is the riskiest procedure out there. Now there are some, there's some data saying that it is as risky as open heart surgery um, because there are so many bad actors out there doing it. So if you're going to someone, you want to make sure that they're board certified, that they're board certified in a cosmetic specialty so that they are a plastic surgeon, you know, and even some dermatologists will do small volume. But if you're getting a full BBL, I recommend that you go to a plastic surgeon, someone who's doing it, is comfortable with doing surgery under, under anesthesia. You know, there are many other doctors who can train in anything. Once we're doctors, we can basically do anything. Um, and some people can get trained really well, right? But you want to hang your hat on those that it really is their specialty to keep yourself safe. And just because it's them doesn't mean it's safe, right? Um, so you want to look at reviews. You want to talk to others. You want to look at the medical board and make sure there aren't any, um, there are, haven't been any dings against their record, you know, that they're hiding. So do your research because it is a risky procedure. You said board certified. Tell our audience what that exactly means and what should they be looking for in a person's office? Yeah, so board certification, of course, it's not the only thing to look for, but board certification means that during your time practicing, you have stayed up to date on the literature, you stayed up to date on the training and that you're taking the appropriate tests every so often. So every every specialty has their own frequency. So in dermatology, it's every 10 years. Um, and in other specialties, it's different. But you're staying up to date and current on the state of your profession and the best safety protocols. Um, and you're passing the tests or modules or whatever that your board says that you need to do to make sure you're up to date. It's very easy when you start practicing just to go into your little hole, stick to your ways, not pay attention, um, but board certification means that this person is appropriately vetted. There's an independent body checking to make sure that they've stayed current in some way. Um, and so it's just an additional factor that you can look at to try to determine if this person has done what they need to do to, to remain, to have a safe office and safe practice for you. Dr. Henry, we here at Waymaker, we believe that every successful person has had at least one or more Waymakers in their lives. Can you tell us about some of the Waymakers in your life to help you get to where you are today? Oh gosh, I've had so many. I've had Waymakers that knew they were Waymakers and Waymakers who don't know it and I'm still watching them from afar. So um, I would say my very first Waymaker is my mom. Um, my mom was a nurse and, um, you know, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to have take your daughter to work day. And I remember taking me to work and I was with the nurses, but I was watching this little secret group of doctors in their huddle. And I was like, I want to be over there. And she was like, you know what? Okay. So she talked to them. They gave me a little white coat and a stethoscope. And I was seven. It was one of the best days of my life. That was it. I knew that I was going to be a doctor. So definitely, um, 
a way maker um, for me. Another family member, my great aunt, she actually died of breast cancer. Um, in the last six months of her life, she knew that she was passing. And I was about eight at that time. And I spent hours sitting on her knee talking about all things in life, how a lady should behave, what I should do, that I should save patients like her. So until I was in medical school, I thought I was going to be a breast oncologist. Um, and I'm actually a skin cancer surgery, so I didn't divert completely. But she was definitely a way maker. You know, so many of the um, black and brown dermatologists um, who've come before me that I've watched from afar or have had the pleasure to meet over the course of my career have paved the way for me because they've really showed me, whether they knew it or not, how one moves through these spaces, you know, how to negotiate, how to advocate for yourself, how to figure out a path, how to to plan and make your way to, you know, um, the, the top of our profession. So they've definitely been um, way makers for me. Um, I mean, I could go on forever. So <laughs> where do I start? I, I mean, I could start in people far before me, people who've like paved the way in terms of civil rights. So I could even dream to think that I could do this. Um, colleagues and professions. I think my very first mentor was a female Mohs surgeon, which we didn't have a lot of at that time. And she was also like five, two and just a spitfire of a woman um, treating all of these like vets who just didn't, you know, couldn't believe that a five, two woman was operating on them. She definitely inspired me to like, use my voice and not be afraid. Um, so lot, lots and lots of way makers. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm finding more every day, but lots of people that have inspired me and kind of um, helped me determine my path. Before I let you go today, a lot of things we've talked about have applied to females. Mm -hmm. Let's quickly turn before we leave yes. and talk about males and male skin yeah. and everything from our shaving issues to whatever. Give us some advice on how we should be taking care of our skin better yeah. and the things that we should be doing as regular routine. So I will say I am very proud to see that more and more male patients in my office. And I will say these are some of my most educated patients. Because I think there's such hesitancy to coming in that when they show up, they show up with all of the information and all of the data. They have all of the questions. And that makes me really proud to see them advocating for themselves. Um, and, and also understanding that it's important. You know, people are working longer. So I have a lot of my, some of my top cosmetic patients are men who come in, they're like, I'm getting a promotion. I'm now CEO of this. I need to be able to connect and compete and uh, exude you know, confidence and strength in this space. Um, so they're coming in, they know their fillers, they know where they want it, they know injection technique. They're asking me, am I gonna use a filler, I mean, a cannula or a needle? And so the game has completely changed with regards to the male patient. So the first thing I would say is, um, we are here for you. You know, this oh, you know, this is not only for women dermatology, it's for everyone. Your skin is important from a health standpoint. We can handle everything from ingrown hairs on the beard to hair loss. So I have a really robust hair loss practice. I also do hair transplant. And a lot of those patients are men. You know, we're doing PRP in our male patients to stimulate hair growth. We're talking about other treatments like exosomes, which are kind of growing. I have lots of lasers. I also have a research group um, where our focus is to make sure that all of these products are appropriate for skin of color. Um, so I have a lot of lasers that we're using now um, to make sure that we're testing the efficacy on skin of color. And we have really amazing things that are going to come out on the market over the next few years, but we have a lot. So we can treat hair loss. We can treat your overall skin tone. We can inject and do anti-aging and rejuvenation without feminizing you if that is not what you want, right? So we're always talking about gender and um, making sure that we are we are reflecting your true desires. But if you want a more masculine look, we can do that too. You know, men are aging. 
the jaw lines are shrinking, you know, so all that structure, we can give it back to you with products that are well suited for you. Um, and also body work. I know I'm doing liposuction on my male patients who similar to women are getting that kind of midsection fullness that as we get older, it's just so hard to get rid of. So, um, you know, we have everything at our disposal and men really should benefit from it as well. And I'm thrilled that men are coming in and are educated and, and seeking to look their best. Well, Dr. Michelle, we thank you so much for this. Uh, we appreciate the, the quick education that you've given <laughs> our audience today. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, you can reach me. I do a lot of work on social media, so you can reach me on uh, my Instagram, which is Dr. Michelle Henry. Um, I also have a, a budding TikTok, which is Skin Doc Talks. Um, you can reach <laughs> me at my um, my practice website, which is skinaestheticsurgery.com. Um, and I am super responsive, and I'm thrilled to interact with everyone on any of those platforms. Thank you, Dr. Henry. Appreciate you. Have a great day. And we look forward to staying in touch with you and you keeping our audience educated. So thank you so much from the Waymaker family. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Dr. Michelle Henry. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.